Hello, spooky people, and welcome to another episode of my spooky gay family. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? Because you just did like a John Travolta introducing a Dinamis. <laughs> <laughs> the wickedly talented. <laughs> like, like, I don't know why you paused on the K. Adele Zazim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to another episode of My Spooky Gay Family. I am your resident spooky drag queen, Pissy Miles. And I am your resident spooky drag queen, spooky sister, Sam Baxter. You never sound excited to say it. I'm just getting through it. I'm just getting <laughs> just, through my just day. Just enjoy it. I, I am enjoying it. I'm enjoying it being over. Oh my God, you are <laughs> truly a crank today. I really am not. <laughs> <laughs> and this... Is my spooky gay family. I'm sorry. Torturing you. And that's the thing, it's like in <laughs> retrospect, like I had a moment where I'm like, oh, that was a dumb time to do that. And then like it crosses my mind. He saw me pick up the cup. Like watched I, me bring it. I to wasn't <laughs> looking at you. I'm okay. I'm doing all of these things. I'm doing intros and I'm doing all the, the engineering. We the pause audio for engineering. him to do those things. No, we do not. <laughs> yes, <we> do. <laughs> How dare you? I'm I'm a magician on on the on the whatever the fuck this is, these controls. <laughs> I, I am a wizard, Harry. Oh, Jesus. Uh, welcome to another episode of my Spooky Gay Family Kids. We are very excited. It's a very special week. Uh, we're doing a, a, a kind of unusual topic comparatively uh, to what we, we're used to doing. Um, how's your week going, Sam? It's going great. Um, I have the possible beginnings of a cold, which is why I'm drinking tea and was caught unaware during the intro. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really hope you don't have a cold. I, I really hope I don't. I either, will be very probably. upset if you get me sick. Thank you for your concern and compassion. <laughs> like, it's all about me. Game. Don't you know this? <laughs> don't you know by but now? It's all about pissy. I'm completely <laughs> unfamiliar with that concept. Yeah. I mean, uh, I will say I am a person who likes to be... Uh, What's the word? Thought of first. I like I like everyone to be worried about my well-being. I will say that. Because I, I like to treat myself because I work very hard and you do too. Uh I I actually this week I'm very excited to say I went and got my first pedicure. That sounds fun. It was. I actually think you would like it. I I disagree. Why? I have like I don't even like like go going to like get my hair cut is just like a touch too intimate for me. Like I don't need anyone like touching my feet. Like, like, like you know, I will say it was it was unusual at first because I was like I I don't think I have particularly nice feet, especially because I spend most of my life in like six inch heels. <laughs> uh, but 
they uh, it was it was wonderful. You get like a warm foot bath and they like trim your nails and your cuticles and they like I got a 15 minute massage which I paid uh extra money for <laughs> because you get like 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then they were like do you want more and I was like fuck it yes. <laughs> <laughs> my feet hurt so bad I was like just keep going I was like don't stop until I die <laughs> it was wonderful if you listeners have never had a pedicure please go out right we will take a break come back when you have had we'll, your we'll pedicure wait. it'll be another like 20 minutes of just dead air <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just leave your headphones wonderful. in it's fine it really was great like I I want to go and get another one tomorrow. I don't think it seems I, excessive. I yeah, it's like I I basically just be paying for a foot massage because there's no reason to get a full pedicure. Like I mean, I know like Sarah has gotten manicures and um has on occasion sprung for the like, you know, hot stone massage thing. I've never done anything like that. Hot stone massage. Yes. I had one of those uh one time I went and got a massage and I paid for like a two hour massage because I was having like back problems and I really mm-hmm. wanted her to do like therapeutic massage on yeah. my back, but she just wanted to do like a very superficial massage. So she ran out of shit to do in like an hour and 15 minutes. And so she was like, do you want me to walk on your back? Do you want me to use hot stones? I was like, no, I want you to like work on my back. And she just like did all this shit that I was like, <laughs> I'm never coming back here oh, again. No. See, that's a shame. I love massages. I wish I could get one every day if it wasn't so <laughs> prohibitively expensive. God, I love a massage. But that has nothing yeah, no, to do with what really we're talking doesn't. about today. Uh, today, kids, we are going to be jumping into a topic that is, like I said, a little bit, I don't want to say unusual, but it's... Yeah, because we, ha- we have done like one sort of adjacent episode yeah we did the we did the jeffrey dahmer episode and today we are not talking specifically about any particular case. particular case or serial killer or uh any like i said specific <clears throat> story but we wanted to talk today about true crime as it is kind of this i don't want to say blossoming topic but it no. is certainly but i think we kind of wanted to like sort of orient ourselves in regard to the topic (laughs) in terms of like kind of give you an overview of kind of like where we are with it because you and i are are both huge true crime buffs yes i i have i always have considered myself a true crime buff and you also were into those kinds of things at a very early age as well yes it's one of the reasons that i got a criminal justice degree was i was obsessed because there's something probably not healthy to be obsessed with yeah i mean it's definitely probably on the heavier side as as far as topics go but i think that especially right now i feel like we're seeing a lot of people talking about how much they love true crime and there's this kind of discussion about is it a fad is it something people are just now getting into is it something that is like a blossoming topic of interest and i don't think that it is. I think people have always been interested in it. I think people have just always kind of been a little weary of talking about it because it's such a morbid I think there's always strange kind of, topic. There's always kind of been a stigma that if you're into this kind of stuff, it a either means you want to do it 
or B, like there's something wrong with you. Like, cause yeah. what, cause why would you want to know like the details of this terrible thing that happened to somebody else? Like you're sick in the head kind of thing. Right. And I, I think that we're kind of at a weird place where we're all just kind of admitting to each other that like kind of everybody's interested in this at least a little bit. Like, like there's, I've never met anybody who honestly had no interest in kind of a morbid story. Like, like, and even, even if it's not necessarily something that they would carry that interest over any further than having heard the story, mm-hmm. like everybody likes a good, like, <laughs> like everybody likes their good schadenfreude moment where, where we've talked about this before. It's like, Oh, that didn't happen to me. And it feels kind of nice. And that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. is, it reminds me of the, the episode we did on death where it's like, I'm not, I'm not enjoying someone else's misfortune, but there's a certain amount of comfort in knowing that it didn't happen to me, you know? And it's kind of, it's a strange topic to talk about. And this is something when we were, when we were discussing the idea of doing this episode, we were like, but how do we talk about this without sounding insensitive? How do we talk about this without being disrespectful to people who are victims of violent crime? And it is a very difficult topic to talk about because it's it's hard to explain why this is an interesting topic when it it really does come at someone else's expense. You know what I mean? It it does and it's I've always kind of been of the opinion and I mean we both listen to um, My Favorite Murder. We've listened to other podca- podcasts that deal with true crime and yeah. I shows listen, and documentaries. And, I and love just the whole nine yeah, yards. Anything true crime. But like, I, I think what it always comes down to is as long as I don't feel like you're making fun of the victim. Yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah. I, I, I've come to kind of a, a point where like that's the hard line in the sand for me is like whether or not you're treating the victim of this with respect. And I think as long as you are, I think it's, I think it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's a factual thing. Like you can't, it's not a rumor. It's not, it's not a fabricated story. It's, it's a, it's a fact that this thing happened to this person. And I think as long as you treat it kind of keeping it in that factual realm and sort of away from the sort of, you know, places where it can get a little victim blamey or like, or exploitative, or exploitative, like I think you're fine. <clears throat> and that's the thing. I, I think everyone comes to true crime for for slightly different reasons. I think most people come to it with the best intentions. I don't think that most people are interested in true crime because they want to exploit the people who are, are the victims. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. But I am saying that I think most people who are interested in it as a topic are interested in a, the kind of morbid fascination of death that we all have. Particularly of violent, Violent. sudden deaths. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's also, I think something that appeals to a lot of people. And I would be interested to hear this from some of our listeners too. If this is something that they're kind of thinking about is I, I wonder how much of it is a desire to understand what could possibly drive someone to do something like that? I think that's some of it. I think there's also kind of a, a human nature. And I think this is one of the reasons we like stories and storytelling so much mm-hmm. is 
there's this this very human impulse to kind of want to experience as many things as we can. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously something that everyone hopes they will never experience. Yeah. <laughs> but experiencing it vicariously is just fine. So it, yeah, it's, it's a way of kind of associating yourself with something you don't actually want to be associated yeah, with. It's it's a way to kind of explore possibilities that you hope will never come to pass for you. <laughs> yeah. That, that's really interesting because I never thought about it that way. I always kind of like I always kind of felt that I guess, but I never really verbalized it in that like there's a small part of me, I, I think there's a small part of anyone when you hear any kind of like strange awful story that goes, well, what would I have done? What, how would I have reacted in this situation? What would, and you're basically um, kind of in your mind, putting yourself in the situation because humans are essentially animals that are are geared toward. There's a reason we're the dominant species on the planet. It's because we adapt and evolve and we learn. Yeah. And the easiest way to learn (laughs) how to survive is to look at, unfortunately people who didn't, and say, okay, well, I'm how, not doing it. I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and it's not always yeah. avoidable, and it's not a straight logical line from one to the other. But it's a lot of times I actually find uh, listening t- to a lot of true crime stuff. The sad part is that most times it was unavoidable. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? No, and th- it was set up in such a way that these people just did not. They. they There was no preparing for a situation like that. Which is one of the reasons why so much of the focus in in true crime study is on motive and um, method of perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Is because when someone's a predator, (laughs) like, they they set up the snare. Like, they know all the rules. They know all the parameters. Like, they've accounted for those variables. And you, as someone who doesn't even know your involved in this scenario you don't even until know you're it's too late yeah. like you can't counter it ahead of time so it's i think one of the reasons why we focus so much on on the mind of the killer and on and on the motive and the way they do things is because we're looking for a way to try to avoid this happening and to make sense of and it, and to make sense of it in some way because it's you can't look at the person that this happened to and, blame. and and say they did anything yeah. wrong because they almost never did. So yeah, it's like, they were just doing what whatever it is that people do, and oftentimes had the most natural reaction. Yeah. to whatever situation they found themselves in. And like, listen, I'm not saying that you know predators tend to prey on on groups of people that are at risk who mm-hmm. engage in risky behavior, um, things like that. You know, people like people who have substance abuse issues, people who have mental health issues, like people who sex workers, sex workers, any, anybody yeah. who's, who's not going to necessarily have the same kind of resources or support system that would sort of throw up a red flag and tell them not to trust this person. And also people who would not be considered like, like if they were <clears throat> missing, people CNN is not going to do a yeah, like, three page spread on exactly. If they were missing for we're, we're twelve not gonna hours, three hundred volunteers searching wells. You right, know? like it's not <laughs> uh, unless you get into cases of of pedophilia, which is all kinds. But of even then, up, like you have, you, you know, there are black girls missing from Washington D.C. We still have no idea what the fuck happened to them. I know. <laughs> like, it's, I, it's like it's 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 amazing how much like racial and socioeconomic status of a victim plays into 
how much we give a shit. <laughs> well, it's a big thing. I was just listening to a podcast that was produced by CBC in Canada. It, uh, and it was called Missing and Murdered, Who Killed Alberta Williams? Mm-hmm. And it was about the death of uh, an indigenous woman who uh, from Canada who whose body was found along the Highway of Tears. And they've talked about how many dozens of of women, especially indigenous women, mm-hmm. are in danger along that highway because they are people who are um, hitchhiking or traveling, and it's a very dark highway. It's very yeah. desolate. So it's very secluded, and mm-hmm. it's a very dangerous place where they find a lot of uh, people. And they talked a lot about how susceptible indigenous people were, not just because of the fact that they were women, but because of the fact that they were indigenous, because there was racial prejudice against them. And I think a lot of people don't take that into consideration as a factor in these crimes is how often it's indigenous people or people of color or trans people that are targeted because they are such a marginalized group that they assume people will not care as much and sadly they're often proven right because as a predator you're never going to go for you're never going to risk target you're going to go for the lowest risk target that you can find yeah no one's going to go after mitch mcconnell they're going to go after you know some poor trans sex worker it's it's and i'm not advocating that anyone should kill mitch mcconnell no but I, I, I'm, it's, it's frustrating because here are people who are already having like a hard go of it yeah. and here comes somebody else and to make this, it even fucking thing. worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that you have to be careful of, but, um, what do you think you and I as queer people yeah. clearly come from a marginalized group? Do you think that that plays into your interest in true crime at all? I think it does and it doesn't. I I, th- I think it might. Like, like, I'd never really considered it, but I do think probably yes. <laughs> um, I had never thought of it either, but <clears throat> the more we talked about this episode, the more it dawned on me, I was like, well, I wonder how much of my interest in this comes from being someone who... Who kind of has to be a little extra careful. Yeah. When, you know, you're walking down the street alone and you see a group of people that you don't recognize mm-hmm. or like... Or when or I'm even coming just, home at four in the yeah. morning and walking through an empty just, parking there's lot. There's one person who's been walking behind you for a couple blocks now and you could just be walking to the same place or they could be following you. Yeah. And it's just that that extra little bit of feeling the need to be more aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. And even in a way, not just in a in a physically dangerous way, but I think as queer people, we've all had the experience of like, I remember when I was when I just bashed out of nowhere. (laughs) Well, not even gay bashed, but like verbally when I was. But I'm not even talking about that. Like when I when I just graduated college, I remember having a job uh, where I was working as a temp in a, a real estate office and. At the time, I was dating a guy who lived kind of far away and. I someone asked me at work, they were like, oh, do you have plans this weekend? And my plans were to go visit this this guy I was dating and I was like oh I'm I'm traveling because at the time it was like I didn't know if talking about the fact that I was going to visit Mm -hmm. a boyfriend would make them look at me differently because I was in a I was a temp nobody I didn't know who they were is it safe to come out is it safe to share these details 
about my life with these people who could have a bias against me. And so you add that level of kind of secrecy yeah, to uh, what then becomes a dangerous situation. And I think that that is why as queer people, uh, we kind of have this under this, like almost sympathy for victims of violent crime, because it's like, I can see how my actions could have landed me in a position where I would become victimized. Does I mean, that make sense? Yes. And I mean, we've, we've talked about the specific thing before, but like when I was 18, I was going into the city like once a week, not telling anyone mm-hmm. where I was going. And like, I had a cell phone. Yeah. But it was like a crappy, like <laughs> a Nokia. Yeah. It was like a Nokia, like flip phone. Like, like it's not like <laughs> this was, the, it was the, the height side- of technology at the time, but like not really. Like, the sidekick wasn't even there. Yeah, no, but like that wasn't even an option. Like this thing did, did not have internet or GPS. You could hammer and, nails like, with this thing. It was like, <laughs> but it's like, I mean, I was like taking the train into New York, getting on the subway, like staying there until like, eight or nine o'clock at night, mm-hmm. like went to bars with a couple of women when I was not old enough to go to bars. <laughs> and like, it's, it's one of those where like, it occurs to me now, How you know, dangerous 14 it years later, yeah. where like, and I'm not even talking about like some random stranger. Like if one of the women I had been with had been, a, had been a predator, granted I was of age, but at the same time mm-hmm. I was much younger than them. Yeah. Like if one of them had wanted to do something to me, they very easily could have, and yeah. there would have been very little I could have done to stop it. Thankfully they were all very good people. Yeah. But like, it's like, <laughs> but it's like you, you don't have that thought in the moment, which is why I think sometimes when people look at these stories and say, well, duh, of course you don't do that. And like you've heard me say on this podcast like hundreds of times, like don't hitchhike, like do not hitchhike ever. Yeah. Like it's easy for me to say that I've never been in a situation where I would have to. Where you felt like you had to. Yeah. Like Uh, I've never been in a situation where like if I really had to, I couldn't call an Uber. I mean, when I I think back on things, I know now knowing what we know now, um, I, I remember when I was in high school, I had been dating a guy who was going to school an hour outside of Albany. Now, mm-hmm. to Albany from New Jersey is already a bit of a distance. Yeah. But like, I didn't even have a car to like go. And dad didn't know I was dating him. I had met him mm-hmm. online. So as like a 16 year old, I was like taking buses yeah. and <laughs> and like riding in, stra- in strangers' cars like uh, up to like Albany. And Looking back on it, I'm like, wow, I'm lucky to be alive because the things I did were so it's like you said, it's so easy to say, my God, don't you know how stupid this is? But at the time, it's so desperate. And especially as a queer person, your your dating pool is so much narrower. It's so much shallower than the the average cisgendered straight person forget dating like just sense of community like it's one of those things where like i was as far as i knew at the time like kind of the only queer woman for miles yeah so like i had to go to new york city to meet other <laughs> queer women. and like yeah that meant not telling anyone where i was going and being out stupid late at night and like yeah. you know doing things that in retrospect if I had an 18 year old daughter, I would put her through the wall. If I caught her doing like, and it's like, <laughs> like <laughs> you, wow, 
like and it's like it's one of those things that I remember very distinctly like when dad did find out what was happening like he was very angry understandably like like at the time I was like oh calm the fuck down like I'm 18 and now at 34 I'm like oh shit dad was right like I (laughs) killed me I was like I would have murdered me like I mean dad for all and we haven't really talked about our coming out stories on here and I'm not gonna do that today but like Mm. when I came out I was in like middle school and, and high school and like I remember very distinctly like dad saying things to me like it's not anybody's business. You don't have to tell anybody. And me thinking at the time, it was kind of a, like, I'm ashamed to have a gay daughter thing. Mm -hmm. And me realizing now, because I remember some of the other things he said to me, that (laughs) what it was, was he was terrified that someone was going to kill me or beat the shit out of me. Or, and like, you know, he, he did say things like, you know, lesbians can be sexually assaulted too. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's like, in retrospect, I understand why he was scared Mm -hmm. because I was also scared of those things <laughs> and it's hard, <laughs> but to didn't understand want to that. listen to him talk yeah. about it because that made them feel more real, especially when you're a young person and you feel indignant and you feel every, I feel like everyone goes through that phase in their young adulthood where it's like, you're trying to make sense of the world. And a lot of times the world doesn't make a lot of sense. No, so and you have to kind of decide that you're invincible and you're just going to yeah, walk out and do and it. And you, like, it's not even just invincible, but you're angry about it. And you're trying to prove a point, not only to the world, but to yourself that this is a world you can exist in. And that's any person, not just queer people. But mm-hmm. I think queer people go through it uh, in a very, very harsh way because everything feels so aggressive sometimes. But that's kind of the danger of young people is that they almost want to prove to themselves that they're steeled enough for the world. Yeah. When in fact they don't have the world experience to make better choices. And also if anyone is is listening to this, that's under the age of like 21, <laughs> I have a secret for you. I'm 34 years old. I'm not ready for the real yeah. world. Yet. <laughs> like, the like, real I, world can be like, very overwhelming. Like, I'm not ready and I probably never will be like, like it, it's like, I'm going to die at the age of like 80 and I still won't have figured out why the fuck I have to get a new Metro card every time I go to New York city. Cause I have inexplicably lost the old one. Every single, one. every single time. I have I never ever held on to one. Every I will time never I understand have, why I have, like, I can't smile in my passport. Exactly. <laughs> like there's, you're never going like like and every adult around you that's acting like they figured this shit out is lying out their asshole. They yeah. have they have not. Like, no, like nobody they absolutely gets it. haven't. So don't do something stupid trying to prove to them that you're just as smart as they are because they're dumb. Yeah. So like like don't don't let them pretend that they're not. <laughs> like, it's true. It 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 really is true. I think that as older people we have more experience and have more tools sometimes to deal with given situations just because we've experienced them or or we've been around people who have experienced them to a greater extent but i i, I don't think we give young people enough credit that it's not the, it's, it has no, nothing to do with intelligence no they are certainly all. intelligent enough to understand these things it's just hard to it's hard to sympathize with something when you have no context for it it's, you know it's, what I mean? It's one of those things that like if I, if I make you do a book report on Huckleberry <coughs> Finn and like I read it along with you mm-hmm. and then you did a book report, I expect you to do well. Right. If I ask you to do a book report on Tom Sawyer and I know you've only read the first three chapters, I'm not going to expect it to be a great book report. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's literally just you haven't done the reading. 
Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that you can't do it. It's that you haven't done the reading yet. It's just it (laughs) hasn't come up for you yet. And 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 that's something to be aware of. This is the other thing. And and I kind of want just to sort of relate back to the main topic again. But like, this is something that true crime obsession and true crime study can do to people, too, is like, I also don't want to be afraid Mm-hmm. to experience things yeah and that that is a thing that i do kind of miss about being 18 is, is yeah. i was not afraid at all <laughs> of anything to do that. and like it's i do think that to a certain extent like sort of over consuming this kind of media mm. can turn you into a basket case because it's like oh god that guy's gonna kill me and it's like no he's just he just wants a cigarette it's well okay. it's like when but i like- called you about the <laughs> impeachment hearings when i was hired by haps to go down to do the impeachment hearings yeah i almost didn't go because i was like Everything was coming together very quickly. And I was talking to Jack, who is the political director for Haps. And he's a very, very nice guy. He, he's been nothing but like kind and helpful and wonderful. But at the time, I didn't know him. And, and they were talking about like staying in a stranger's house and like traveling together and doing all these things. And I was like, the, the part of me that listens to Crime Junkie every Monday, yeah. I was like, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to end up in a river. <laughs> and I was like, I was like. I had to convince myself that like uh, in the same way it's smart to question these things. Sometimes it's frustrating that now as an older person, I don't, I'm not like, yeah, why would they murder me and throw me in a river? Like I, it's it's really just like, make sure someone knows where you are. Yeah. Make sure you've like figured out, like if you're doing something that you feel like might be like slightly unsafe, like make sure somebody knows where you are and make sure that like they know that you're supposed to contact them at a certain time. And if you don't, that's a problem mm-hmm. and they should try to contact you. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's having just those little check-ins that, that, that can help you kind of get through that. But and also time, like, knowing the questions to ask yeah, people and, and knowing the, the information you need. Yeah. yeah. But like, this is not an informational podcast and we went like way the fuck off topic, but it's okay. It's not really off topic. I think that yeah. this is a relevant <laughs> conversation to the topic because okay. it's, it, it's a serious discussion that I don't think happens a lot on true crime podcasts is how people end up in a situation where they become a victim that's not just happenstance. It's like yeah, that is not just there, wrong there place are, at the wrong time. Yeah, there are factors that lead to people being victimized that are are far beyond what we would normally associate with being factors in those scenarios. I mean, I think this is also one of those moments where, and um, not to like blatantly steal from my favorite murder, but I think that they're completely right in this. Is particularly um, for our women and women identified listeners out there. Fuck politeness. Yeah. Like, I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard yeah, <laughs> on, and, on avoiding yeah. becoming a victim. It's like, trust your damn intuition. If you feel like something is wrong, then do what you have to to get out of there. And if that requires you being rude to someone, that's okay. Yeah. Like, if you need to be rude to someone because you feel like your safety is threatened, like, be rude. It's okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is okay. And it's also a matter of, like, don't, don't let your politeness dissuade you from asking the important questions don't let don't let politeness dissuade you from taking care of yourself because it's not impolite to ask questions about traveling with a stranger or traveling for work like making sure that you're in a safe place making sure that you're not in an uncomfortable situation with a coworker. like it, it goes 
far and beyond what what I think people would normally consider, oh, like this is a dangerous situation. If there's a situation that makes you uncomfortable, feel <clears throat> free to make to take the steps to get yourself out of that yeah, situation. I mean, like, the person who's making you uncomfortable is not always going to be sitting <coughs> next to a giant wagon full of red flags. Like yeah. sometimes it's just a feeling. Like like if anything if anything about the situation you're in is making you go, uh, I don't like this, mm-hmm. trust that feeling. Because like that is that is your lizard brain going predator don't like that <laughs> and even if it's wrong your lizard brain like the, no that is like, <laughs> no it is it is actually a primal reaction like it's, I know it's it was it's, just but fun. the like, term was funny no it's okay <laughs> but like that is that is your lizard brain telling you there is something off kilter about this and yeah. we don't like it and like that's that's all the information you need and if it turns yeah. out that you're wrong oh it, no I, you were rude to someone <laughs> like, I know and honestly it's one of those situations where like especially with fuck politeness it's like you don't have to necessarily like if you don't want to be rude you don't have to be but there's a difference between not being rude and uh and allowing yourself to get pulled along in a situation yeah, that you, you can like. you can very politely <clears throat> say absolutely not and you should absolutely start politely <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying that you should be I'm, polite. I'm or not that you have advocating to be that the second the wind blows the wrong way, you're like "fuck you" and run away. <laughs> you don't need to do that. No, and but I didn't like, mean to insinuate that. No, I know, that. I know. But I, 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 I just want people to understand that, like, it's it's okay to be assertive for yourself in a situation where you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's totally okay to to like if you are dealing with another person to to kind of say like your behavior is making me uncomfortable yeah like that's that's okay you can in say any that. situation it doesn't even have to be dangerous it no. can be something at work like it is okay to say this thing makes me uncomfortable and i would like you to stop doing it yes um that said yes uh speaking your of <laughs> i know you, i know now that we've now that we've put out our banners yes um we mentioned my favorite murder i yes. mentioned crime mm-hmm. junkie uh i love true crime anything (laughs) really if i'm being honest but i will say that the thing i consume the most of is true crime podcasts because i spend so much time in my car i'm always traveling to and from shows or to and from you know uh venues or or meetings or wherever the hell i'm going i i travel a lot in my car for work and so i'm always listening to uh true crime podcasts or audiobooks things like that what do you think is your favorite method for consuming true crime uh, information and stories? Um, I do think that most of the time for me, it's audiobooks as well. I, I like podcasts, but I can only take so many of them at a time. And it's it's not because... <laughs> That's a very ironic statement. <laughs> I know, but hold on, hold on. It's, it's largely because it's... I feel like when someone is telling me a story, mm-hmm. I have a very different reaction to it than when I know they're just reading out of a book. Like it feels very different. Like I have different a more, how? I have a more emotional reaction to something when particularly like, um, again, I mentioned my favorite murder. Like, like when you can hear that, like Karen or Georgia are upset about what they're saying, mm-hmm. I get upset. Yeah. So like I can listen to like, two or three of those at a time and then I have to take a break and I'll come back. Yeah. But like, I mean, Karen and George are also really, really good at making this funny. <laughs> but yeah, like, they are very, like, very like They're funny very people. entertaining and I really yeah. enjoy my favorite murder. But like at the same time, it's, it's one of those things that like, particularly when they're reading like truly upsetting stories and you can hear them getting upset. Like yeah. that, that's kind of when like 
I know I'm going to have an emotional reaction. Whereas if I listen to like the 900th fucking John Douglas How to Catch a Serial Killer book, <laughs> I'm not going to have that reaction you <laughs> because know, I know they're just reading it. I've never read a, a John Douglas book <laughs> And it, I will, I will, with full disclosure, say <laughs> that it is because I have heard some unfavorable characteristics about John Douglas, and I, I am sure he is a brilliant man. We have seen the fruits of his labor. Yes. He is clearly a, a very intelligent person who has done nothing but good for the the crime solving community. <laughs> that said. I have heard that he can be um, smug. Yes. <laughs> we'll say smug. Um, <laughs> I've heard that it can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Mr. Douglas is fully aware of how brilliant he is. And yeah. Likes to talk about it. A lot. Yeah. And that can be a challenge for me to deal with. I don't respond well to that at all. So, I have never I mean, read any of his books, though I'm sure they are great. It, it's it's one of those things that like I, I have listened to most of them, mm-hmm. um, or read them in text. But like, are they are they like great books? I I mean I wouldn't say that they're great books. I mean he does have a he does have a I don't want to call it a ghostwriter because that's not the word. He has a collaborator mm-hmm. that generally handles sort of the prose part. <laughs> but um, I I think that. My my one critique, which is why I can only li- I, I I listen to one and then it has to be at least four months before I listen to another, <laughs> is, is that a you're going to get like kind of the same four stories over and over again yeah. and, and be like once you get through sort of the self congratulatory tone <laughs> of of many of these stories like the information within them is very good. Um, John Douglas and I also differ greatly on our opinions on a number of things. Like I am. He and I have a very, very, very different view of the death penalty. <laughs> so, like, so there are times when I'm when I'm listening to him that it's kind of like, okay, but, okay, but, okay, but. Yeah. It's also he has a tendency to kind of see, and I, I know we said we weren't going to get into a deep dive on anything, but this is fine. Um, <laughs> he has kind of a tendency to see profiling as kind of more of an exact science than I think it really, it really is. is. Yeah, And there, there's been a number of studies recently and a, and a lot of sort of editorializing on how effective it is as a tool mm-hmm. at all. And I'm not discounting the benefits of it, but it's, it's not quite as Sherlock Holmesian <laughs> as, as a lot of people think. Yeah. So I, I've heard a lot of stories of where yeah. profiling kind of misled people a little bit. Yeah. But to his credit, I will also say I was just listening to an episode of Crime Junkies the other day uh, where they were talking about specifically John Douglas mm-hmm. coming into a, a case where uh, a series of women had been murdered. And he profiled the guy who ended up being the killer to a T like yeah, no, with like, strange accuracy. Listen, it's, it's not at all that, that the profiling part of it isn't accurate. I think it's more that, that human need for confirmation bias, yeah. which is if yeah. you're looking for a white male who owns a white van and, you know, <laughs> lives in this neighborhood, like you're probably going to find a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them may even have violent criminal pasts. Like, well, it was a one thing I remember it, it was a case that happened in, uh, again in Canada. I don't yeah. know why Canada has been so uh, popular on the podcast <laughs> circuit these days, but um, 
Airing out Canada's laundry. <laughs> Finally, at last. So they're not all that nice. They're with their poteen and their hockey. <laughs> they are pretty nice, though. Um, most of the time. Most of the time until they're killing people in the woods. Um, <laughs> this one was like, he said something like, oh, be- because of the the distance this person is traveling to dump the bodies, they have to be a business owner because they're clearly not answering to uh, yeah. a boss or something. And it ended up that the guy owned a bakery mm-hmm. and it was like, he owned the business. So he wasn't answering to a boss. He wasn't like checking a time card. And so he could come and go as he pleased. And it was such a, it was such a strange thing that like, I never would have thought of that. No, like so, some of the deductions that are, that are made yeah. in, in profiling are, are, honestly astounding it's really it is a very cool thing (laughs) like they make perfect sense once once you really think about them but Mm -hmm. like you would never think of that yourself and it's it's a fascinating kind of subset of true crime that i'm especially interested in i think Mm -hmm. mostly honestly because i'm a writer and like those little those little quirks of personality that inform action yeah are a thing that interests me greatly (laughs) yeah but um yeah, no, like I was saying, audiobooks are kind of the big one for me because when I'm in the car, like, I can't listen to fiction in the car <coughs> because I will lose track of where I am in the story and I won't mm. kind of be absorbing it the way that I want to. But I can yeah. listen to nonfiction in the car very easily and I've gotten used to, of choice. I do like listening to, uh, to fiction in the car. I listen to... <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this again. I listened to it <laughs> in the car. See, I'd be worried that you would crash. I was I'm glad you didn't tell me fine. until after you were done. Um, I listened to it because I had a three hour commute to and from Fire Island yeah, once a week. Oh, and it was three hours one way, three hours back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still never finished the book. <laughs> In the entire summer, I, I was like listening a to it. Fifty-six hour audiobook because I remember I downloaded it, got like ten hours, and it went. I can't. I, can't I it was so much. I I never even finished it driving three hours there and three hours back over an entire summer, yeah. and I can do fiction in the car, but I, I I agree with you. I do like nonfiction because it's easier to ingest. Although I will say that sometimes with the nonfiction, especially with true crime, I'll miss a specific detail that makes the rest confusing sometimes. So that can, that can, that's the one time I kind of run into issues on the plus side. We're paying attention while we drive. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're not distracted drivers. No, thank goodness. We're just distressed. (laughs) Um, I, I do. I agree with you. I think profiling is a really cool a uh, facet of true crime. And I think it's actually something that draws me to true crime because I, I am very interested in the psychology of it, but it's kind of like you said, it's not an exact science. And no. sometimes I find myself having a hard time putting all of my faith in it because I was listening to, there was a, there's a, I don't want to be inflammatory or rude I was listening to a podcast called Real Crime Profile. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? Yes. It was uh, it was Jim Clemente, who is uh, an, an a retired FBI profiler, and uh, Laura, um, goodness, if I can remember her last name, uh, Jesus, I, do you smell toast? I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Hold on. 
I'm Laura like Laura Richards. Laura Richards, uh, who is ex uh, Scotland Yard. Yes. Yes. And they basically break down popular uh, criminal cases where there was either a serial killer or a, a murderer or, or some kind of violent crime. And Jim Clemente was a profiler. So oftentimes he would give these profiles of of people and they talk a lot about like cases where either the person was presumed innocent or was not found guilty in the actual trial or something like that. And based on his profiling, Jim Clemente will assert that that person is probably in fact guilty because they fit the profile of the, of the killer or there's something about their past that fits a criminal profile. And it's like that sometimes got, that felt wrong (laughs) to me. I, I, I had a hard time vibing with that because I was like, you can't, I was like, if the facts don't fit the, you you, you don't, you don't bend the person to fit the profile. You have to bend the profile to fit, to fit the person. Yeah, it, it's not like, or, you, honestly, you shouldn't be bending anything. If they don't fit, they don't fit and you leave it alone. Exactly. But or, like, <laughs> or there are times where like on paper it it fit, but in actuality it wasn't as like black yeah. and white. And so they would be like, well, it's, it's kind of up in the air because no one knows the answer. And so they'd be like, well, based on this profiling, they probably did it. And it's like, well, that's, I guess that's a kind of a fair assessment, but it's also kind of d- defamatory. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those things that like, and to his credit, John Douglas does say this a lot, is, is like profiling is a tool. It is not, it is not a magic bullet. Yeah. Like, like you can't just put out a profile and you're going to find the guy and the first guy you find that fits the profile is the guy. Right. Like there, there's, there's, Lots of other things that have to fall into place. Physical evidence, preferably. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know, for every prosecuting attorney in the world, physical preference, phys- physical evidence. Physical preference. <laughs> Sorry. I physically prefer that you were I, the I, killer. I physically. <laughs> you do I not appeal to me, sir. that you had left a fucking fingerprint because this is, this is nonsense. Like, if we're going <laughs> to. Well. Like, doing I dream know interpretation on the stand isn't going to work out. You know, it's like, but. <laughs> And not that I'm comparing the two. They are very different. But, I know. but like, but like, I, I just, in addition to sort of John Douglas, <laughs> um, I, I do like to do deep dives into serial killers because mm-hmm. generally speaking, when people say true crime, <laughs> um, I mean, not always, not it, always. It, it's one of those things that like, I, I know people who have a, a more broad, we'll say, interest. um, interest. <laughs> as opposed to taste um, <laughs> I suppose it's like what's your taste in true crime I really enjoy cannibals <laughs> I, knew it. I knew you were going there <laughs> we did do Dahmer um, <laughs> but um, yeah no so now that I've made that terribly crass joke um, <laughs> no but like I know I know people who are who are particularly interested in, in rampage killers who are particularly mm-hmm. interested in sort of serial abduction um mm-hmm. sex cold crimes, cases like missing yeah, no, people like there's, there's there's a lot yeah. of different flavors there are subsets true yeah. Crime. yeah um but yeah no my favorite has always been serial killers and i honestly think it's again probably because i watched silence of the lambs too young <laughs> um <laughs> the got you got you interested no jodie foster it always comes back to jodie foster <laughs> it's always the she lesbian. not only made me gay but she made me obsessed with serial killers <laughs> Um, 
Do you think it's funny because you say that you have uh, kind of this lifelong interest in the in serial killers as mm -hmm. a study. Do you think that that plays into your uh, your love for horror horror movies and horror stories? I mean, I think it it does and it doesn't. I think it it does two things. <laughs> It makes it occasionally difficult for me to enjoy a slasher movie when they're trying to make it realistic mm -hmm. because there is a fine line between a serial killer movie and a slasher movie. And we've discussed right. this before in yeah. the slasher episode, but like it's, <clears throat> I have watched a lot of movies that were slasher movies and thought they were serial killer movies. <laughs> and if you know a single thing, <laughs> <laughs> about like how serial killers operate it's very obvious like you should have just given this guy a hockey mask because like yeah. that's the only way this movie makes sense i know but like the actual serial killer movies are interesting but they're kind of interesting in the same way that like if you're a really big nfl fan it's interesting the same way watching like the replacements is interesting yeah or like the mighty ducks yeah like, like, like it's, it's, it's like this would never fucking happen yeah but what if it didn't? That'd be kind of cool. You know what you know? was <laughs> a really interesting movie in terms of talking about a serial killer movie versus a slasher? Mm -hmm. Did you ever see the movie Private Lives with Angelina Jolie and Ethan Hawke? I don't think so. Like, oh, I can picture the cover, but I don't know if I watched it. You should it. <laughs> absolutely watch it. Um, Angelina Jolie plays... Uh, an FBI agent and Ethan Hawke is uh, a man who is being uh, stalked and is in danger of he he witnesses a violent crime and is in turn being stalked by the by killer. The killer. Yeah. And so Angelina Jolie develops a relationship with him as she is tracking the killer and protecting him from violence. And it's a it's a really really interesting movie in terms of uh a serial killer versus a slasher movie right. because it is much more about the thrill and the chase mm -hmm. than it is about the the, the, the slashing and, and the yeah. <clears throat> the the guts so i think you would actually i think you should go home tonight and watch I, it i mean i i think i would probably enjoy it i think um it's actually funny that you bring up angelina Jolie because um Oh, I know which movie you're going to talk about. I know. <laughs> is, is another one of those things that like yeah. totally got me. And in I um I loved the Lincoln Rhyme novels. Like I, know. I, I, I Jeffrey, read Jeffrey Deaver Deaver's is so all, good. Almost all of them and like like they're actually they're making a TV show right now and I'm really excited about Are they really? I want to see of it the so Bone bad. Collector? <laughs> yeah, no, they're doing a Oh, that's a, exciting. They're doing actually. a Lincoln Rhyme show. Oh, I love that. Um, which I I'm, hope they do all I'm the really hoping. Books. Well, I think they're starting with The Bone Collector and working oh, their way through the rest of them. There was a really but, um, great <clears throat> Jeffrey Deaver novel because Dad was very interested. Dad yeah. loved Jeffrey Deaver as And a Dad writer. actually really likes true crime. Like, I know. <laughs> it's it's really funny. I feel like it's we inherited we're bonding it. <laughs> with, with we have this weird true crime yeah. DNA. Uh, Dad got me. And Dad was the one who was like, here, I think you'll like Jeffrey Deaver if you, know, you liked The Bone Collector movie. And Dad gave me a bunch of his books. And one of my favorite favorites was a book called the vanishing man the vanishing man is a really good one it's a really good book yeah no there there were so many like and again this is all like 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 thriller mystery novels are essentially like serial killer fantasy novels yeah like, like, like there's no way this would happen in real life <laughs> yeah and like some of the things that like lincoln rhyme figures out within these books are just like so far beyond leaps I of know. logic <laughs> 
is like, I have no idea how you got there. He'd basically like, have to have a crystal ball. It's like, like essentially. Yeah, no, but like it's it's very. It always feels really real, which is which I think I think the mark yeah. of a really good thriller is no matter how outlandish the plot is, it feels like it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when you compare that to true crime mm-hmm. media, like when you see what actually happens, like uh, you had told me to watch a little while ago, it was um, a, a documentary on Netflix. It's called Evil Genius. Oh, and it's did about, you watch it? It's, it's about the, pe- yes, I watched it. And like, first <laughs> of all, um, I nearly had a heart attack because I was not expecting them to show certain things. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like there were certain things yeah. that happened live on tape that I was not expecting to be repeated in the documentary. It was one of those things. But like, <laughs> And that was a very contentious point because the yeah. makers of the documentary felt it was important to put it in. But a lot of the viewers of the documentary felt were like, like it was kind of gratuitous, kind of exploitative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit like, OK, faces of death, like yeah, chill the fuck out there. Yeah. Um, it, but, it definitely is a lot. But. If you can, if you can get past the first five minutes of the movie, it's no, but like that is like the perfect picture of a case that like when you told me what this was about, I was like, there is no way that's a real story. Like there is no fucking way that that really happened. I know. Um, (laughs) But it did. Like Erie, Pennsylvania, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Um, If you want to know what we're talking about, you can look up the documentary Evil Genius. It's on Netflix. And it really is. Um, It's a very well-made documentary. It's an interesting documentary. I do feel the need to put a content warning on there that it shows extreme violence. You do see someone die on film. Yeah. So like just be aware of that going into it. Yeah. And I'm surprised Um, that they didn't have a warning about that because I would have appreciated one. Um, yeah. <laughs> like honestly, I, I think I think I don't often feel the need for content warnings because I am just not that I I don't have a lot of issues with things. Yeah. I'm not I'm not arguing against them. I'm just saying I don't usually need them. But I think a content warning for that would have, would have, been have absolutely yeah. been appropriate. <laughs> um, um, and that's speaking as someone who like. I, I know that this is going to sound weird, but like we've sort of talked about the ethics of this already. So I'm going to say it again. Like it is almost comforting to me that that shocked and disgusted me. <laughs> like that I had a moment where I'm like, Oh, that's too far. Yeah. Like, where it's, it's too much for you as a like, person. And you're like, Oh, it makes me feel better that I'm not crazy. Some of the fiction that I choose to consume. I know. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, it was almost comforting to know that I have a functional like reality fantasy switch where I go, Oh no, I know like that. I don't, I do not want to see that. It really makes you, it it makes, at least it makes me wonder when you think about like the Coliseum and when people were entertained by like watching people fight lions, I was like, we in the 21st century do not, we we're not, Different in that we still like to view violence. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But there's a comfort in knowing it's fake. Yes. Because I'm like, oh, or I have a, mor- a lot of pads and helmets. And yeah. I have a morbid curiosity <laughs> about this thing, but knowing that no one actually got hurt for me to see this thing that I'm curious about. And then there's NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely is like, it's like, when did we as a society decide? Oh, we'd rather see it not really happen. Yeah, we would rather not actually watch our fellow human beings die. I think, honestly, at least some of it, and this is like, I I will admit that I am speaking completely out of my ass. So, like, 
<laughs> if you disagree with the statement, that's fine. I think World War One really is what started it. I, I I think World War One and World War Two, where you had a large portion of the population that had been through a a mass casualty event. Mm-hmm loses their taste for that kind of entertainment yeah and i think that's when we really stop seeing as much of the exploitative violence on on film and in plays and in books and in th- things like that like it's not that it gets sanitized because it doesn't but like the real factual <laughs> like <laughs> we're going to put this guy in a ring with a tiger and he might eat him. Like the, the, the appetite for that does go down slightly. Yeah. When you've seen the when real you've seen effects that when you've seen death and, and maiming on that scale, when you've like, seen carnage. Yeah. 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 And that is exactly the term I would use to describe it as carnage that like it's chaos and, and that's disarming. Chaos is absolutely disarming. Yes. And justifiably distressing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, so I, I I think that like this is kind of a good time to sort of delve into a little bit harder sort of that exploitative versus informational line, which I think is a thing that we've discussed a couple times. We have, and I think it's important because as someone who enjoys true crime, sometimes there's this kind of like there, there's this point where I'm trying to explain to people and it's like, well, how do I explain my interests in this without sounding like I am a totally exploitative asshole? Like, yeah. how do I say I'm interested in true crime when I know that part of what I'm saying is I am entertained by yeah. true crime? <clears throat> and I know I understand that that I understand that that is a very multi-layered concept. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, it's not, it's it's a hard sort of line to draw between mm-hmm. where you're genuinely interested in the information that's being presented and are entertained by it. And it's, it's hard to sort of pick out where you tip over into being entertained. <laughs> but yeah. like, I'll, I'll be the first person to admit, it's like, no, I am also entertained by it or I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't watch it like, yeah. like, and I wouldn't listen to it. Like, because if it was just distressing to yeah, me, like I wouldn't was, want to if consume it, was, it. If I was taking this 110% seriously all the fucking time and really trying to empathize with every victim of every crime, I'd go crazy. Yeah. So like, there's a bit of that, you know, cognitive dissonance where, I was where, gonna say where it's your like brain, dissociation, where your brain turns yeah. off that empathy switch for a little while because yeah. it's, I really want to know how the story ends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <clears throat> I always try to, and this is this is one thing I like about, again, this is one thing I like about my favorite murder, and this is not a plug for my favorite murder again. <laughs> but like one of the things I really like about them is they take the time every so often to to do like an entire episode of stories where the, the person got away. They, yeah. they do survivor stories all the time, and I think that that's really great. <laughs> yeah. Because like there is nothing better. Like I am, I am a basic bitch. I like a happy ending. Yeah, like, and too. I want to hear that she <laughs> outsmarted his ass and true. got away. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, I don't want to see her therapy bill, but like, holy shit, like good for I her. Know. But it's that even with the knowledge that it doesn't have a happy ending, like, I think one of the reasons why like Jack the Ripper and the Zodiac and like, there are so many, like the ones that, that become these like Legends. legendary, yeah. like level, like 
mysteries that everyone is trying to solve is because the happy ending in true crime most of the time is that this person got caught. Yeah. They got caught and they can't do it anymore. But to be fair, I will say I think that that is the opposite of that is kind of the draw of one of the most interesting serial killer stories in American history, the Zodiac. Yeah. And it's like, I think, but again, I think that the interest there is based more on how could this person have gotten away with this? How could this, and how it kills me that, I know deep down we will probably never find out what no. exactly if, the timeline was. Else, um, he's I, probably he's dead. dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like the odds on him not being dead just grow smaller and smaller <laughs> just, just every year, funnily enough. And there would have to be like a confession yeah, tape somewhere or a, a diary. Ever, like like it's it's one of those like it's one of those things that there's a part of me that wonders if he is dead, if only because he got off so bad on fucking with the police and fucking with the press. Yeah. That I think like that would he would want that. He would want the recognition. Like like yeah. he would want to know it's like okay, my lawyer's going to release this and then they're all going to know they never caught me. Like there there's yeah. a, there's a part of me that wonders if he would be the kind of guy to take that to the grave. To leave like a purpose. manifesto. <laughs> like Yeah. Like granted if he got because there's there's also, you know, there's always a suggestion there's only, you know, two things that stop a serial killer death or prison. Mm. And a lot of them <clears throat> do end up in prison on other charges. <laughs> you know? Well, and that was the and thing. And there's a part of me that wonders if he was arrested for something else, died in prison and didn't get a chance to do his big aha Radigan moment. That was, yeah, like, that was something <laughs> I had thought about. I was like, I was like, I wonder if he was, like you said, was imprisoned. And uh, so many times, I mean, you see it with a lot of the guys who end up in prison. Uh, like you look at like Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. got murdered in prison. Mm -hmm. Not that he didn't deserve it, but and <laughs> I know I'm so sad yeah. about it. Um, but then you think like, did the Zodiac get arrested for some other crime, end up in prison and end up dying yeah. by natural causes or otherwise. And no one, especially ever since knew. a lot of jailhouse confessions are not taken seriously. So even if someone, because especially like people who are in there, who are in there for other crimes and are maybe sentenced to life mm -hmm. when they've got nothing left to lose, They'll May as well be famous. Yeah, they'll you know? just start <laughs> taking credit for things. Like um, yeah. fucking Henry Lee Lucas, who is who is a serial killer, oh, um, yeah. like claimed something like insane, like <laughs> 400 victims. It's like, Henry, you did not kill 400 people. <laughs> there aren't 400 people missing in this state. Like, like you can't like, and like every time they talked to him, the number got bigger and like he would send I them know. to go find the bodies and there were never bodies there. Like, like it's, it's, it's like he was shooting for immortality. <laughs> you know? It's I like, know. And I mean, on the one hand, it's one of those things that's like, how disgusting that that's how you want to be remembered. But on the other hand, Could it's you like, imagine having that part of your brain that's like, this is what I want to go down in history for? Yeah. Is just like. Killing a bunch of people. Killing. <laughs> for no reason For no all. reason. <laughs> and, and it's like, what? I would love to spend like five minutes in that head just to like try and make sense of it. I'd be scared I'd never get out. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, that's the kind of. Like that that that's the kind of shit that rubs off. Like, like I don't, it's I don't like need the cell. that. Like seriously, <laughs> I'm like, like Vincent D'Onofrio. What like, are you doing like, here? It's like, cra like <laughs> crazy is like stepping in gum. You know, yeah, but like it's like, and I'd be a little worried about it. But like, yeah. it's not. Um, I don't even remember what the fuckers. I don't even know. Matter. Who like, knows? But yeah, no, like informational versus exploitative. Like there, there are certain lines that I do not want crossed. Like, do not. 
if you're doing a documentary and your reenactment of the crime is longer than the whole section you talk about how you found the guy. Yeah. That's exploitative. That's exploitative. Like if you hire like telenovela actors who are going to scream and cry and, and that <laughs> if you have more blood on your set than they did for the first Saw movie, that's exploitative. Yeah. Like you're making a horror movie. You're not making a documentary. And they do make horror movies out of true stories. And I have to be honest, like they wig me out. Every time, like it, it's not that I think you cannot make one. I think that you can make a thriller hmm. out of a true crime story. Like I, Zodiac. I um, Anchor Anchor Bay did a whole series. They did Dahmer. They did Gacy. They did Ed Gein. They did. I think I think that was no. I think they did the Toolbox Murders too. Hmm. But um, where they were, they were basically true life slasher movies, and I watched two of them and felt a little gross. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like they, they will fictionalize sort of what happened. They'll use different names. They won't use the real victims names. And like, all of that is fine. But like, there are about four fictional slasher movie villains I can think of right now that have something in common with Ed Gein. You oh, know, absolutely, like, yeah. like Ed Gein's been used as inspiration for four or five slasher movie villains. So like, why does it have to be Ed? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like it doesn't have to be him. Like, like it just feels like you're playing off the name of this person to try to get someone to watch this movie. And it's like, I don't, I, I, I have to admit, I feel a certain kind of way about it. It's just, you know, I do it's get like, that. And I don't care for it. I don't know that I, I understand why you feel that way and I appreciate it. I don't know if I a hundred percent agree. Cause like That's fine. I, I have watched like, like I've watched Zodiac, the mm-hmm. movie Zodiac with, uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo yeah. and, and, uh, Robert Downey Jr. And all everyone who's in that. I movie. would also argue that that is a thriller. Like it is a not- thriller, but I will say the, some of the violence in that mm-hmm. movie is so graphic but so effective in that it in a strange way did not feel exploitative. It it was shocking and it was disturbing. No, and I think it was it was very matter of factly presented, which is it was which effective. Is fine. Yeah. Like and that was what that was something I appreciated about it because it's like you know, submitted without commentary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 one particular uh, murder was the 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 couple, the couple at the be- at, at the beach. Yeah. yeah, that is the one that like sticks out in my head. Well, it's, it's hard. It's hard most. to watch. It's very difficult to watch because it is heartbreaking and painful and awful. But the reason I think that it it is an important scene in the movie is that it points. It, it really focuses on how fucked up he was and yeah. what. It, it did not blame that they didn't do anything wrong. No, they no, didn't, no. They, and, and that is something I think is so well done about the movie. It didn't exploit their deaths. It used that moment in the film to show what a fucking monster this guy was. No. And I think that like, again, this comes down to, to tone. Exactly. Largely yeah. is, is that you're not supposed to empathize with him in that scene. And you're not Mm-mm. supposed to be vicariously enjoying that scene. You're supposed to be horrified and you're supposed to have empathy for these two people who are, who are about to lose their lives. Like when you look at, again, those sort of slasher movies based on true events, 
it's all of, it's it's carnage candy. You know, it it's, it's, it's and there's something to be said for carnage candy yeah. when it's fictional because I I but enjoy it. Sh- it it but shouldn't be factual in any way. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's 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 again, and we we've talked about this before. It, I feel like almost ad nauseum. It's like if I am watching this and I get the impression that I'm supposed to be enjoying watching this person get carved up, that's a problem. Particularly when in the back of my mind, I know that you've based the scene off of something that happened to a real person. A real person. And it yeah. doesn't matter if you change their fucking name. I know. <laughs> like, I still know that like, it happened. Like I still know that this is what you're doing. And it's one of those things where there there was um what the fuck was the name of the movie? It doesn't matter. There, there, there was there, there was a recent movie made about um, the Sharon Tate murders. Oh yes, the one and with uh, Hilary Duff. Yes, yeah. Not not the ones Upon a Time in Hollywood with Margot Robbie, but the one that Which was, was actually equally about bizarre. Sharon Tate. But um, like I, I'm not going to watch that movie. No, like I'm not. No, because it's like make Strangers Three. You don't have to fucking do this. And that was like, the thing. <laughs> and on top of it. Just based on what I've seen in like trailers and things, yeah. so much of it has been like fictionalized and yeah, and they're making and, some kind of like weird supernatural connection between her and Manson and like like yeah, it's, it's some like, kind of weird fucking shit. like what are we doing? But it's just like with all the, I, I think what it comes down to is I just don't think like there are films out there that very clearly have drawn inspiration from real events mm-hmm. like. Very clearly. And that's fine. <laughs> I just don't understand why you have to call it the thing when it, A, <laughs> bears no resemblance to the real thing. I know. And B, like, do I really want to watch you, like... Depict a real d- crime. Depict something that, like, just something just so objectively horrible and disgusting. I know. And, like, I I don't mean to sound like a prude here. But, like, I know. But like, as well as, like, listen, I love Saw. I I, I hated Hostel, but like, like, like <laughs> I, I I enjoy a good torture porn movie just as much as anybody else. But yeah. I I can't for a moment enjoy it while I'm thinking this happened to someone. Like I yeah. know this happened to someone. Like there is a part of me though that wonders because sometimes there there are times in my life the Sharon Tate murder is such a th- it's such a thing in my mind that like I really can't wrap my mind around it. It like doesn't make sense to me because of how awful and horrific it is. And so there's a part of me that wonders if I had a visual to associate with it, I could almost like put it out of my head. Yeah. Because I it, it I mean, at the risk of sounding like an asshole, the crime scene photos are widely available. I know, but that's that's the thing. I don't want to actually <laughs> yeah, view, no, I know. you know, and I crime scene don't photos. <laughs> um, but there is a part of me that, like, enough time has passed, and I'm not saying that it's justified for, like, people in her family, but I, I think for me it would help to understand what happened if I could have something to associate with it. And part of me wonders if that's where people who make those kinds of movies are coming from in that they're not trying to be exploitative. I do understand that there is exploitation in it. Like unquestionably there is exploitation, but 
there is also the the part of me that like tries to make sense of something that's so awful and is like I can't even imagine what this situation would have looked like. Yeah. It it just doesn't even make sense to me. And but I think there's kind I, of I don't a, know. There's kind of a weird parallel here and not to be a downer. <laughs> you know, in case we were in case you were feeling good about yourself. <laughs> so far. Um, in case so far we've been making you feel real happy. Um I kind of like to think of it like I think that I come at that the best through fiction. Yeah. And I think one of the the, the better examples of this that I have is I loved Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. I thought it was one of the most effective movies I've ever seen. I've never seen a a monster movie that made me scared before that. Yeah. I hated Oliver Stone's World Trade Center. They deal with a lot of the same imagery. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, and J.J. Abrams was very open about the fact that like, yeah, no, there's there's some clearly 9-11 influenced imagery in Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people had a problem with that. I would argue that Oliver Stone's movie is 110% more exploitative. Well, especially than because of its is. timing. I I think it It I, was released very shortly after the event. Yeah. And it's It was like 2010. Like he he or got a lot like of props for not actually like showing the plane hitting the building. And it's like, okay. <laughs> but like that's not actually like that that's not a thing you get a cookie for. <laughs> like it's not it just it felt very different because again it was like the difference between feeling like I'm watching news footage mm-hmm. and feeling like I'm in this place where I have enough distance between me and the actual event that I can process it through this fictionalized account is a very different feeling. And that's what I was going to say is that I think where that movie really fails is that it's like us watching it's like us watching a World War II movie. Yeah. I have no context for World War II because I did not live through it. So me watching a fictionalized version of of World War II is jarring and awful, but it helps me to contextualize mm-hmm. something that historically happened. Even if the story that's being told is fictional, it puts it in some yeah. kind of context for me. To make a movie about 9-11 in like whatever it was, like 2010 or wherever, whenever the hell it, it came out. <laughs> I think it was like 2006. Yeah, like <laughs> nobody needed context for that. We no. all lived through anyone who's old it. enough to watch that movie <laughs> watched it happen on TV. So it's like there's no reason for that movie other than to wallow in a really awful, awful yeah, moment. Yeah, it's. It's tragedy porn. Yeah. And that is, <laughs> that is, I think, why that movie comes off as tasteless. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't, it doesn't serve any purpose. No, it's really kind of just like, hey, remember how, how terrible this made you feel? Let's do that again for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um. <laughs> because everyone had heard the stories of the firefighters like, trapped under the rubble. Yes. Everyone had like, heard the stories of everything that happens in that movie. It's like nobody needed a fictionalized account of that. No. We had heard the real stories. We had read the real articles. We had watched these things happen on TV. We didn't need, we didn't need to put those moments into context. Which is kind of an interesting sort of point. Like I, I watch a lot of documentaries Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and listen to a lot of books and they're almost always about things that happened like in the eighties 
and earlier. And earlier, yeah. Like, I very rarely am, like, apart from, like, maybe 1990 to 1992, <laughs> dealing with with anything after the 80s. And I do think that there's, there's a certain amount of distance, like, in the fact that, like, I was only five when 1990 came into it. <laughs> you know, it's I like... I was not. Yes, I know. <laughs> I got it in. And aren't you so fucking special? <laughs> but, like, it's... That that distance is important. It like, is. Like, and it doesn't, because it's, again, it's that, because when we say exploitative, one of the things we mean is also emotionally manipulative. Yeah. And to release a film based on factual events within 10 years of that event happening, particularly when it's like kind of the first, like, again, mass casualty event that almost anyone's ever seen depicted on live fucking television yeah <laughs> is emotionally manipulative <laughs> it's very emotionally manipulative and, like there were a lot of documentaries about what happened with the with the twin towers and, and they're, they're still they're, and they're, they're still putting them out but like i i remember having having seen many of them in the first like three four years after the attack and and some of them are like some of them have fucking production values and, and dramatizations <laughs> that are that are very convincing and I remember thinking, who the fuck needs to watch this? Like, like, who the fuck needs to see this? You saw it happen on fucking CBS. <laughs> like, I know. Like, why do you need to see it? And well, it's like, I, I don't have a problem with them airing, as strange as this sounds, in a documentary, I don't have a problem with them airing the footage from television. And I know that that sounds strange. No, because again, it's that matter of factness. It's, it's a matter of fact, because if you are watching a doc, like let's say a young person today who was born in 2005 and is now 15 years old and is yeah, probably no, learning absolutely. about this in school, watching a documentary where you see that footage and you see how fucking unfathomable that moment was that's important. That is important content. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is it, but it is. It's important it's, context no, it is. for for understanding this this moment in our history. And I don't have I don't have a problem with them making documentaries at all. I think it's again, it's a tone issue. Yeah, I agree. It's when you're showing me actors recreating the last moments of people who I know are dead. Yeah. <laughs> like again emotionally manipulative <laughs> and that's what it comes down to are you are you manipulating my emotions for the sake of yeah and also whatever it why is don't you trust why don't you trust me if you show me a, a <clears throat> still photograph of someone and say what happened to them why don't you trust me to feel what you want me to feel yeah well you I, know, like, <laughs> I mean we have talked before about how some yeah, people lack imagination and again not a read i'm just saying that's something that exists but I'm uh, it's kind of neither here nor there. Very, very serious. I know it got very serious for a minute. <laughs> um, oh we have gotten basically to the end of our discussion. Um, I thought after we just had this discussion about not being emotionally manipulative. Yeah. We have talked a lot today about true crime uh, and specifically true crime when it comes to um Serial killers. Serial killers and murderers and, and things like that. <laughs> mostly and serial killers. The title of my... Mostly, mostly serial killers. <laughs> mostly theater, serial killers. Um, something that I... Th and we've talked about how part of sympathizing with these moments is putting yourself in the situation. And something you and I have discussed 
outside of this podcast is the CSI effect that, yes. that you very generously provided me with a, a term for. <laughs> um, and the CSI effect is essentially where people say like, could I get away with this murder because I have consumed because so much I have information? So many law and orders. Exactly. I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly how to not get caught. So our game for the end of the, I shouldn't say game. It's not our, game. Our, our hypothetical <laughs> question yes. for the end of this episode is, uh, do you think knowing what you know and having consumed the media you have consumed, yes. do you think you could get away with murder? No. No? No. I don't. Why? <clears throat> Largely because this is, this, this is my whole thing. Like, if I was actually going to kill someone, like, I would have to be so incredibly angry. That you weren't thinking that about I'm it. not thinking about whether or not I'm wearing fucking four pairs of gloves and, like, I, I covered my boots with a fucking hairnet. Like, like you have to walk into a crime scene because essential, you have very hairy essentially boots. in a hazmat. No, because they can track the tread. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See, it's fine. You get so angry I there. Did, I did. I'm sorry. I'm still mad. It's fine. No, but like, I I feel that unless it was sort of, we'll say an academic exercise where it was Mm. kind of like me deciding I'm going to kill a random stranger, because that's the thing. It's like if you kill anyone, you know, there's 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 going to be a a motive. There's there's going to be a tie. So it's like also not for nothing. There's video cameras fucking everywhere now. Everyone's (laughs) carrying a video camera in their goddamn pocket. Like it's like it's. It's impossible. Like, you, know like, it's, you know what's like, funny about that? I was just saying yeah. to Jasmine Rice last night, I just said this to her. I was like, I was trying to get um, Siri to do something for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you say I have to cover my phone so she doesn't start like ordering paper towels on Amazon. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, you know how I, I, you have to be like, hey, Siri, search the web for blah, 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 blah. And I'll do that. I'll be like, I'll be like, hey, Siri, blah, blah, blah. blah. And she'll be like, and nothing will happen. And I'm like. Hey Siri, blah, 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 and nothing will happen. And I'm like, hey, that! I start having like a meltdown. <laughs> and I know it, it kills me that like when I want her to listen to me, yeah. she doesn't give a shit. But I joke around and I call Jasmine Rice Shen Yun, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden my Facebook fucking timeline is filled with Shen Yun ads and I'm like that you're listening to but when I want you to search the web for for nearest Popeyes that you're you can't be bothered I was literally I did not say this aloud I was thinking the other day I need a new watch I thought it silently (laughs) to myself opened up Facebook four watch ads in a row really? and I'm like I am terrified like what the fuck like, like I'm gonna know? be putting on a fucking tinfoil hat I'm gonna turn into dad <laughs> like, like I'm sitting here going like oh my god it's like transmitting through my glasses isn't it I should have worn the glasses on the internet you got of, chipped the last of time of course you, you went to the dentist he put something in your back moment. I did get a filling the last time I went oh no I'm fucked now, now they know get you Barbara <laughs> Barbara Duel. Barbara yeah. Duel. Yeah. Uh, I will agree with you. I don't think I could get away with murder, but not for the same reason. Mm-hmm. I am a klutz, so I could do everything right. I could wear the four <laughs> pairs of gloves. I could put hairnets on my Walking hairy boots. I could. Yeah. I could literally float in on wires, but I will. I will like go to pick up the bag at the end and it'll like 
tear a little and the blood will pour out all over the floor. Like something will, <laughs> I will, I drop shit all the time. I You're just walking out of the crime scene like, oh, pussy feathers. <laughs> <laughs> sassafras, sassafras, sassafras. Um, I know that my klutziness would be my undoing. I have every faith that I would you know to what to do. You go dump the body and trip over it. <laughs> And fall in the river. It's like watching a Laurel and Hardy thing. <laughs> it's like watching the Three Stooges murder someone. Uh, yeah, I am entirely confident that I could not kill someone and get away with it. Not because I don't know better, but because I'm a fucking idiot when it comes to using my body. <laughs> All right, kids. I hope that this conversation didn't get too serious for you. I, but I, I also do hope that it was a little informative and I... and. Uh, God willing, you'll walk away from this. For those of you wondering, my therapist accepts donations. <laughs> yes, if so you please, feel the need to tip her, feel free to <laughs> feel free to send us a, a Venmo at Pissy Miles. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode, kids. Uh, we will see you next week for more of my spooky gay family. So until then, stay spooky and remember. Good morning. I don't know what terrible things you've done in your life up to this point. But clearly, your comments out of balance to get assigned to my class. I'm Professor Annalise Keating, and this is Criminal Law 100, or as I prefer to call it. How to get away with murder. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from How to Get Away with Murder, copyright 2014, ABC Television. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara Duel Productions.